Hey, this is Laura. And Steven. And this is our podcast, Midday Musings, where we take our lunch break to talk about the things that are on our mind. Today, some kind of intense subject matter, but totally worth your attention. We're talking about the zone of interest, which takes place in Auschwitz during the Nazi occupation of Poland. Not necessarily for the squeamish, but contains a lot of good information. Let's get into it. Hey there, Steven. Hi, Laura. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Are you sure? I'm very concerned about the way you're speaking. You know, sometimes people just speak like this. Didn't you know that? A slowing of speech is associated with stroke, and you're getting kind of long in the teeth. Oh no, my teeth is so long. <laughs> so long. <laughs> Practically a saber-toothed tiger over here. I know here. that's the, the pot calling the kettle black <laughs> in terms of long teeth, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got very long teeth. I have such long teeth. My, my mom has long teeth, too. I think we're a family of long-toothed individuals. I think you're just a family of vampires. Let's call it what it is. Don't, don't try to pretend like that isn't what you are. We know what you are. Oh, it's not what I am, but it's so what I want. Yeah. Well, see, that's what a vampire would say. That's what a vampire would say. Like, oh, I wish I was a vampire. Vampires are so cool, but I'm definitely not a vampire. Oh, so sad that I'm not a vampire. Mm -hmm. Whisks away into the night with the flap of the cloak. Uh (laughs) Blackout curtains on every window. While being exceedingly pale. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. That's just my genetic heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Vampirism. Vampire. Mm. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes, know. I'm a genetic vampire. You know, folks, just so you know, I've, I found one. I found a vampire. She's here. She lives in my house. It's important you know He's this. He's a liar. Anyway, whatever. You can do <laughs> like, that. Fine. Let's just walk right past that. Yeah. You're, you're a child of the night. I don't care. Because, because that's not what we're here to talk about. It's fine. No, no. It's fine. Whatever. You know, that's why you eye my neck suspiciously. I'm like, hmm. Okay. It's not suspicion. Oh, it's not? <laughs> Are you sure? Okay, well, well, I guess, oh no, oh no, well, anyway, I don't know how I feel about this line of conversation, I'm a little uncomfortable, uh, what's going on with you, Laura? How's... Oh, you know, not much, I saw a movie over the weekend, I've been thinking about it a lot. I saw a movie over the weekend too. Wait, were you is there? It, is it the same one? Which movie did you see? Uh, the Zone of Interest. I saw that one too. No, oh, I yeah. saw someone sitting to my left, but I didn't make eye contact. Did, did you not think it was weird that he kept trying to hold your hand? No, I, I accept that people are very strange after COVID. <laughs> and you know, watching The Zone of Interest, I imagine someone just wanted like human comfort. While, yeah, right. While viewing the atrocities in that movie. Oh my gosh. Well, that's the thing. We never saw them. No, you don't see them. You just hear them. Yeah. You hear them in the background. You hear them you. and... Marvel at the very tight camera angles oh my that avoid visual access. That was an extremely art house film. That yeah. was one of the most art housey films I've seen in a while. And yeah. I, I loved it. Aren't you glad we went to see it? I am. I am. So, okay, guys, the question in front of us was, should we watch Anyone But You, a rom-com starring Sidney Sweeney that is, by all accounts, delightful, or The Zone of Interest a movie about the commandant of Auschwitz, the largest and most prolific concentration camp of Nazi Germany. Yeah. And, you know, we were like, concentration camps for sure. We're like, let's watch that movie about Auschwitz. Let's yeah, do it. We, we love watching movies about Auschwitz. And the darkest part of it is I do actually love watching movies about Auschwitz. 
because Auschwitz is my focus subject on the historical period of the Holocaust. I've published scholarship on Auschwitz specifically, and so I've spent about two years in deep research over Auschwitz. Thus, the opportunity to see Zone of Interest, which is told from the perspective of Commandant Haas, the builder and director of Auschwitz, was a really interesting opportunity. I was very interested in seeing it from that perspective because my primary sources have been exclusively survivor reports and like Primo Levy books and Wiesel books and that sort of thing. And also a bunch of inventory sheets. Mm -hmm. So I've not really gotten into the guard side of Auschwitz. And it is a great movie. <laughs> it's Truly. a really, really interesting, interesting movie in that it centers the narrative around the Haas family. And you physically never see anything that is going on inside Auschwitz. Not when it's in operation. Mm -hmm. But you hear it and you, of course, know it because... We as a society have been pretty consistently producing content about the Holocaust to illustrate to you why it is the worst. Yeah. And it fully is the worst. What this movie does is illustrate the horrifying modern logic that allowed this camp to run so successfully. And it's worth noting that this family of Commandant Haas, in this fictionalized version of the story, I know it's based on a true story, in this version of the story, they literally live right next to the camp. They oh, can yeah, see against the wall. Against the wall of the camp of Auschwitz. There is barbed wire. Their kids can hear the screams coming from beyond the wall. They can see the chimney of the crematoriums. Yeah from their house yeah. and at night it glows red because of the fire i want to share an experience i had during this movie that was fascinating again i agree such a beautiful movie it is very important that we continue to keep in mind this terrible tragedy that happened this atrocity against humanity and seeing it this time mm -hmm. from the german perspective like the german commandant and his family's perspective it was so fascinating because you come into this German family, you're watching what they're doing, you're kind of following their life, and you don't initially know what's happening. At least mm -hmm. I didn't because I knew it was about Auschwitz, but I didn't know who these people were yet. Yeah. And like they're, they're going about their day, they're doing German things in Poland, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Why aren't they speaking Polish? I thought this was set in Poland. And then you see the uniform on the dad, the SS uniform, and I'm like, oh, that's how they're connected. And you just see them hanging out near the wall the kids are playing oh yeah it's a big family and they yeah. it's it's like really idyllic yeah like there's a beautiful river it is green and there are flowers everywhere and they've cultivated a garden this walled garden yeah. with a pool and a greenhouse and they literally describe it as their dream life yeah it's paradise on their side of the wall yes and amidst the scene of paradise of commandant haas spending time with his kids and the mom just saying how excited she is to live here to her mom and how they've made it. You hear that in contrast to the screams mm -hmm. from across the wall, the frequent gunfire from across the wall, mm -hmm. where obviously very bad things are happening to the people in that camp. And the nightly chimney burnings of furnaces in, um, yeah. in Auschwitz. And 
I was so alarmed by this. I was so triggered throughout the first 20 minutes of just seeing them hang out in this idyllic setting, you know, Commandant Haas's family and just living their dream life and then hearing these screams mm -hmm. from across the wall. And the weirdest thing happened throughout the course of this movie, about halfway through it, I started getting invested in Haas and his family's story and mm -hmm. like they experienced some hardships. Yeah, like the workplace drama of it all. The workplace drama, the family drama. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, just like they were desensitized to the screams and the cries from beyond the wall, I also began to stop noticing them as much or thinking about them as much. And I said, oh my gosh, this is what happens. This is how people can survive despite knowing that they have a huge hand in doing something terrible. They just get desensitized yeah. to it over the years. Because me as a viewer, I was becoming desensitized to it. I think that was the director's point. Yeah, they don't I, I believe show, so. They don't show you any of the atrocities mm -hmm. happening. You only hear it. And the centerpiece of it is the family's drama and yeah. their life and their idyllic life, as well as his, like you said, his workplace drama. That was a very interesting experience to go through in a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the really famous self-help, self-improvement books that is distributed to people in that corner of the culture is Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. He was yeah. also an Auschwitz prisoner slash survivor. And what is always lauded about this book is that it displays for the reader how one can survive anything. And that's always been my fascination with Auschwitz too. We have the most material from Auschwitz survivors because it was the largest camp. It had 100,000 people at any given time. And it had three different camps, one of which was an industrial zone. That was Auschwitz III Monowitz, where they contracted prison labor out to major companies mm -hmm. like Bayer and Siemens. Yeah, That's where Primo Levi works. And Primo Levi is our most prolific Holocaust record keeper. He lived in Auschwitz for about three years. He was a chemist by trade, and so he was put into Monowitz. He was valuable as a chemist to this company. Yeah. Actually, a fun fact is afterwards, he came back to the States and he opened a paint shop. Oh, he did? And that's what he did huh. for the rest of his life. Huh. What's really interesting is survival in Auschwitz specifically, mm -hmm. because even though it is the largest and most prolific work-slash-death camp, this is what Primo Levi says. If you can survive the first three months of your incarceration, you will likely survive to the end of the war. Mm. And that's because there was a huge black market and gaps in the administrative structure that would allow you to survive. So mm -hmm. especially if you were at Monowitz, if you were a contract laborer, you get better food, you have better conditions, and the black market, so much is coming in and out of Auschwitz that you can usually beg, borrow, and steal your way to survival. Yeah. And that's fascinating. That means that this horrifying place becomes in its own way, its own world, with a very dark, ugly economic mechanism, but mm -hmm. a recognizable one. Anyway, Viktor Frankl and Primo Levi will tell you how a man can survive anything. Mm-hmm how you can survive the experience of a concentration camp. But what this movie does is tell you how a person can do anything, mm -hmm. how their conscience can split between their life and what they're doing yeah. with the careful camera angles that avoid any visual of the atrocities. Like you mm -hmm. don't see any of the atrocities happen, but you hear them and you know they're there and you can tell from the the cinematographer's choices that they are specifically avoiding the visual, just like the individuals, the the guards are avoiding 
seeing what they're doing. Yeah. How they're using professionalism to avoid the barbarism of their actions. So much takes place in boardrooms, so many phone conversations, just dictating messages mm -hmm. to different members of the SS. It's all coldly and recognizably corporate. Yeah. And that separation does really effectively emotionally separate you from the horror. So for that reason, the zone of interest is profoundly interesting because I've never seen the illustration of how someone could do this. It never seems to be about hate for mm -hmm. Commandant Haas. He has almost a savantish level of engineering consideration for the camp. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think of it as people. He expresses no hatred of Jews no. at any point. His wife does, but his wife is a whole thing. Oh yeah, his wife is... She's yeah, she, in some places. Yeah, she's like, she's talking to her mom and she's like, they call me the queen of Auschwitz. And she says this with utter delight and like laughs. She's a whole thing. But Commandant Haas is just like a working stiff. He has the posture you would recognize from someone who's bent over their desk for ages. And that sort of like far away quality of someone who's always thinking about their work. And he's a nice guy. He will stop a woman on the street and tell her that her dog is amazing and make polite chit chat. Yeah, he'll say, I had a dog just like that when I was a child. Yeah, yeah. And he's very present with his children. And I think the thing that was most terrifying about this depiction was showing you that the people who are capable of doing terrible, terrible things, engineering, Auschwitz, for example, yeah. they're not necessarily people we would consider like evil people. They are they are doing evil things, but they just look like regular people. They just completely detach themselves. They're from performing what they're doing. their tasks in such a recognizable way. Yeah. Like you yeah. go to work and work like this guy does. That I think is why we have to study the Holocaust so very closely. That's why I think we keep coming back to it. It's not just that it's this monstrous tragedy, because there have been other monstrous tragedies mm -hmm. in history. It's that this tragedy contains no trace of the ancient barbarism connected to its philosophy. Anti-Semitism is old as dirt. It is old, it is ugly, it is from a, an uncivilized period of history. And everything else around us has grown so civilized. The superstructures that run our lives are so civilized and corporate and modern. And that's the way that this genocide occurred yeah. with this clean, modern, corporate, friendly sensibility. That's sort of the contradiction that makes it fascinating, but also profoundly horrifying because nice people do bad things, organized, terrible things. And the morality of it is challenging to confront because we think that bad things are done badly, not that anything can be done of, of any moral value in the way that we do everything. Yeah, there was an incredible amount of practicality in so everything practical. that they did. There were a couple points in the movie, like when he's reviewing an updated version of what I believe to be the gas chamber and the incineration system. And they presented these documents to him. And he looked over it, had some questions and mm -hmm. said, no, this is clearly a superior system. And you looking at this, you know exactly what you're looking at. Yeah. And he says, fantastic work. Implement this immediately. Yeah. 
there is no consideration for him in what it would actually do to the people. It's just... It's a perfect mental abstraction yeah. from what you're doing. Yeah. Like there's a moment when he finds a jawbone in the river when his kids are playing. Uh-huh. Clearly from someone who's been recently cremated oh, in, yeah, yeah. in Auschwitz. It's flowing down through the river and it's such an idyllic scene at first. He's hanging out. He's fly fishing. It's very much like a one minute cut of just him fly fishing. It's his kids playing up river. And then he finds a jawbone and notices he has soot like on his on his hands and his face. And as soon as he finds it, he quickly ferries his kids out of the water. They go and they wash them off at home. But he doesn't have any moment of horror or any feeling about it besides i must yeah no evident feeling no apparent feeling it's hard to say what he feels on the inside he's a very the guy who plays this character he really does a good job of just seeming incredibly suppressed yeah so internalized about what he's doing and in every aspect of his life he's like an ideal worker that is the vibe you get from him the ideal corporate worker who's climbed the rungs of the ladder through hard work ingenuity in his field and reliable neutrality. Yeah. It's haunting and fascinating. And you don't really get huge windows into his emotion until the end, when he's been promoted out of running Auschwitz and is instead the head of all the concentration camp commandants. He's so good at his job. They're like, okay, you run this. You teach others to be good like you. And so he leaves the area and he starts doing the thing that everyone in upper management does, going to a bunch of meetings, sending out the minutes, congratulating people on hitting their labor quotas. And then he gets called back to run what is famously called Operation Haas, which was the Hungarian Jewish push, which contained hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Jesus. But we see some indication that he is emotionally affected by his work when he is brought back. Yeah. There's this really interesting scene where there's a Nazi party, a celebration of something. Yeah. It's stuffy. It's a bunch of old people in formal wear. It's the most beautiful ice sculpture of a swastika you'll ever see. That was very troubling to me. That was deeply troubling. Because it was such a pretty ice sculpture, but of the worst symbol. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But the National (laughs) Socialists were famous for their parties. They partied hard. And that was part of the appeal of the whole political movement. It was a lot of pulling an economy out of hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Like the appeal of the National Socialist Party was, we are a pro-business party who will make everyone employed right now. And they did. I mean, once the Nazis came into power, every German male had a job. You were assigned a job. And it did get them out of the worst part of the hyperinflation in Germany. So it rose up people from the bottom, kind of in the same way that Bolshevik communism did in Russia, Mm. which is funny because they're enemies, they're political enemies, but they had the same impact as an autocratic state. But in addition to every man has a job, they're also like, and you party so hard. Mm -hmm. And all of you ladies have as many babies as humanly possible. And like, it was a lifestyle. That's totally fair. I did not realize that was the case. At this party, you said he, he's going to this, this party yeah. and he has some thoughts about the crowd, right? Yes. So he's detached from the whole experience. He's a detached person, as one might be. And he goes up to the top of a ballroom, looks down at all of them. And then we cut to him calling his wife, where he's like, first of all, I'm coming home. Yay. Secondly, oh, the party was okay. I was just sitting there thinking about how I would gas everyone in the room. A logistical challenge because of the high ceilings. Yeah. 
uh, it's just a fascinating, really interesting stuff. Yeah, so it's clear he's being affected by Like, this. it's clear that something oh, yeah. is going on in the old head. And the question there is, is that just a standard thing that he says because he hates the people he works with? Or is it because something in him is being deeply, deeply troubled by his involvement in what is being done to the Jews in Auschwitz? It's... I think it's both, but I think it's much more what's happening in Auschwitz that's bothering him. But it's so subtly done. Yeah. I, I just loved how they did that. And then when he gets called back, uh-huh. there's that one scene where... He just straight up projectile vomits. Yeah. Completely quietly vomits as he's walking down the stairs going to his new assignment to do more... Of what uh, he did. To do more of what he did. Like terrible stuff for the Nazi party. And he just vomits on the stairs quietly, elegantly almost, but clearly very disturbed. And then he goes down another flight, vomits again, dry heaves. There's nothing in him. Uh-huh. He's just clearly sick to his stomach. Uh-huh. And that's where the movie ends. It is a contemplative, fascinating piece of work that I've never seen the like of. So much of it is interesting. You really see how blithe a lot of members of the Nazi party could be because they are living it up and not really thinking about the... They aren't thinking about what they're doing yeah. to produce this living it up so much. It's it's politically expedient not to think about it. And after so much privation, I guess there would be a logic to not thinking of it. I don't know, man. I've never seen a movie like this, and I I really, really enjoyed it, and it's been chewing on my brain. I've got the book on hold, so it's based on a book. Oh, nice. And I've got that on hold. But also what's fun is that another book I have on hold is called The Spy Who Comes In From The Cold, and it's a fictionalization of some of the Cold War espionage. Mm -hmm. But what is distinct about this particular book is that it covers what happens after World War II, after the Allies take over from Nazi Germany and reconstruct Berlin. Oh, interesting. And here's what's up. Mm -hmm. The people who were Nazis end up running the administration of post-war Berlin. What? So it's the same people in power. Son of a... I know. Really? Really. They didn't oust them? They didn't have other people in charge? I mean, there was Nuremberg, but you can't get them all. Fine, I get. No, it's not fine. It's no, not it's fine. not fine. But it it is illustrative of the way power moves. Mm. The people who will stalk any regime will be the same people who stalked the last regime. Mm. Just like how Putin was KGB and now he runs Russia. And the people that he has helping out with that were also former USSR. Mm. Because you're not suddenly going to get a bunch of new people with the same skills you need. You're going to use your old people and tell them that there's a new political Mm. ethos that they have to follow. You mean they were former USSR KGB or just USSR? Former communist party members. Oh, got it, got it. Yeah, so even though the USSR fell and communism fell and it's now ostensibly a democratic capitalist state. Oh, totally. It is is entirely staffed by people... Well, not anymore because it's been like 40 years and mm. more people have come to power. But it was initially in the 90s manned by people who were previously employed by the USSR. Mm. Because, like I said, you are all, you're going to need people who know how to do the things you need. And that means politicians and technocrats and people who have already done the job for 20 years, which means you just end up utilizing the old regime and you have to deal with that. <laughs> 
because they're there because they're, they're available. there and there's not anyone else who has the same skill sets and you need to keep continuancy yeah and they're good at it so might as well they say but yeah the zone of interest was mm-hmm. a very interesting movie yeah i believe i'll be thinking on it for quite some time i've never seen a movie from this perspective on this topic and honestly this topic has been covered from almost every angle in our yeah. western society it is the big one uh-huh. that we talk about and make sure that we keep it in mind so we never, never forget do, never forget and never do it again but seeing it from this perspective this fresh perspective really gave me tons to think about yeah i would recommend it to anyone who has any interest in humanity honestly yeah 100 yeah. percent. if you have an interest in history yes if you uh-huh. have even a cursory understanding of what auschwitz is yes yeah. you've never seen this story mm-hmm. and you should you need to think about this mm-hmm. yeah because i'm thinking about it and you need to too that said dear listeners thank you for joining us on another very up- chill <laughs> very chill upbeat midday musings yeah yeah <laughs> Hope you enjoyed, sleep tight, and catch you on the next one. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye. This has been Steven. And Laura. Thanks for tuning into Midday Musings, the podcast where we talk about all the things on our mind. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and jump into the conversation in our polls and Q&As. We would love to hear from you. Catch you next lunch break. <laughs>